Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. BetOnline Sportsbook has you covered for Super Wild Card Weekend. Giants versus Vikings, Dolphins versus Bills, Justin Herbert versus Trevor Lawrence, Dak Prescott versus Tom Brady, Lamar Jackson versus Joe Burrow in an AFC North showdown. You can use our promo code Believe. 50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0 to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. Hey, Good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live. On the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a fan flipping tabulous January 9th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in, however and whenever it is that you may be listening. It is our last NFL Monday. Of the regular season in the National Football League. Welcome, 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 everybody. I hope you all are having a fantabulous day. We're going to talk about all of the playoff scenarios and all of the clinchings and all of the chaos coming up in a little bit, including one of the coolest moments I think I've seen in a football game, at least in terms of like the the feel goods, the things that we claim that we really like about sports and the the warm fuzzies and everyone rallying and kumbaya and all that stuff that people claim that sports is good for, even though any community of people can have moments like that when people feel those warm fuzzies. But there was one of those cool warm fuzzy moments over the weekend. I think you guys probably know what it is, but we'll talk about that coming up in a little bit. Before we get to any of the actual playoff stuff here on this wonderful Black Monday, and again, every NFL Monday is one NFL Monday closer to, I guess, Cliff Kingsbury getting fired? I assume that's something that's going to happen sometime here today. And another thing that I assume is going to happen sometime here today is we are one step closer to Lovey Smith getting fired by the Houston Texans. Because if you'll remember, the Houston Texans, who every year on January 12th, we celebrate it's Bill O'Brien Day or Houston Texans Day or Jack Easterby Day or whatever we want to call it at this point. Thursday was going to be the day this year and... uh Bill O'Brien Day came early for the Houston Texans this year because that's the thing we got to start off the show with. The fact that after all of the talk about tanking, the entire season of the Texans being the worst team in the National Football League, and this was a rare year where like every team felt like they were trying to win, and I think that was a byproduct of the fact that so many teams we thought were going to be good ended up being the bad ones. I said at the start of the season that... We had such high expectations for the AFC because 
everyone was making additions. The Dolphins added Tariq Hill. The Raiders added Devontae Adams. The Broncos added uh, Russell Wilson. You still had the Patriots. You still had the Steelers. Like There were so many expectations for the teams of the AFC. And I said at the beginning, like one of these teams we're not expecting is going to lose 11 games, is going to go 6-11. and 11. And in my mind, I thought, you know, it might actually be the Patriots or Steelers. Like, we're not mentally prepared for that, but one of these teams is going to go 6-11, and 11, and it might be the Pittsburgh Steelers or the New England Patriots. And now, ultimately, that team ended up being the Broncos, and that team ended up being the Raiders, which, again, I said at the start of the season. If you're betting on trades... Which te- which organizations do you believe in? The Dolphins, Raiders, or Broncos to get these trades right? Or the Seahawks, Packers, and Kansas City? Like, which of those organizations are you betting on to make the correct decision here? And while, again, we don't know the result of Seattle, of the, the last wildcard spot in the NFC, I'm going to assume that Green Bay is going to beat Detroit because in what universe? Hell will have frozen over by the time the the Green Bay Packers lose a winner go home game against the Detroit Lions to get into the playoffs. So operating under the assumption that either Green Bay or Seattle made that last NFC playoff spot and the Broncos are going to and by the way either way both those teams are going to have top draft picks. Uh Detroit and Seattle being the teams who are going to have top draft picks as a result. But basically going into the year, I was like, we're not prepared for one of these teams to be terrible. But the one team we knew was ass was the Houston Texans. And they had been this way by design. The Houston Texans, for those who don't know, on we're going to celebrate it here today instead of waiting until January 12th to celebrate Bill O'Brien Day because the, the circumstances are perfect. The reason we celebrate Bill O'Brien Day or Jack Easterby Day or whatever you want to call it, the reason we celebrate that day on January 12th is on January 12th, 2020, that franchise, the piss poor franchise of the Houston Texans was up 24 to 0 on Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and the best Kansas City team of any of the five. This is the Kansas City team that won the Super Bowl. They were up 24-0 in Kansas City on their way to host an AFC Championship game against the Titans that they would have won to go to the Super Bowl and possibly beat the 49ers. That, at the time was proce- was followed up by a 4 and 12 season in which they didn't have their draft pick which was then followed up by a 3 and 14 season in which they didn't have their or sorry a 4 and 13 season in which they didn't have their draft pick which was then followed up this year by a 2 13 and 1 season for the Houston Texans the Houston Texans went 8 and 25 after being up 24 points against Kansas City in the divisional round of the playoff. And by the way, the only thing they had to show for it was Rex Burkhead, Davis Mills, and the number three pick in the NFL draft, which ended up being Derek Stingley, who had a really good rookie season on a piss-poor, terrible team. The Houston Texans are the worst-run organization in all of North American professional sports. Not only did they go 8-25 and after being up 24-0 on Kansas City, and for those who don't remember, they gave up 52 points in three quarters. 
It would be just insane enough if the Houston Texans, after that happened, went 8-25 and in the two seasons that immediately followed. It only gets better from there, because you have the team being run by a pastor. The team pastor is running the organization because he prays with the owner, the owner of a team who inherited it from the guy who is a family friend with Mitch McConnell, which I think makes you racist by association, and the guy who once upon the the owner who once upon a time said you can't have the inmates running the asylum. The guy who owns the team now, Cal McNair, his first job with the team was sitting in his dad's office and playing video games at 29 years old. This is confirmed in reporting by ESPN. That guy put a team pastor in charge because team pastor likes to pray with him. And so that guy, despite not being qualified to make any personnel decisions, ends up being the guy with the most power in the organization. What ends up happening besides going 8-25 and and a team pastor running the Houston Texans? They took a team that had a Hall of Fame defensive end, an all-pro quarterback, and the best wide receiver in the NFL, and turned it into three different NFL franchises' best runs of the last 15 years. Because they took all of their draft picks and gave them to, to the Miami Dolphins for Laramie Tunsil, a trade that we pointed out turned into, now that all of the details are done, they traded away two first-round picks, a second-round pick that ended up being basically a first-round pick because of how bad they were in 2020, and the Dolphins took those draft picks for Laramie Tunsil and flipped it into Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Bradley Chubb, Javon Holland, Noah Igbenogamy, two linebackers drafted in the third round, and a rookie wide receiver for Laramie Tunsil. So they took all of the Texans' draft picks and turned them into two-star receivers, Bradley Chubb, Javon Holland, Noah Igbenogamy, who was a first-round pick, even if a bust, two linebackers drafted in the third round, and a rookie wide receiver. So the Dolphins took that. The Dolphins have now gone 29 and 26 over the last three seasons, which constitutes their most successful run of football in the last 15 years, and they made the playoffs this year. Remember DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt? Both of them went over to the Cardinals. What did it cost the Cardinals to get both of those players? David Johnson and a draft pick. That's it. Cost them David Johnson and a draft pick for one of the greatest receivers in NFL history, and maybe the greatest pass rusher in the history of the sport. And then we found out the Houston Texans quarterback is a serial sexual predator, and the Texans traded him. The quarterback already wanted to leave before all of these new information points came out, and lo and behold, he goes to Cleveland, who I assume, with the sexual predator, will end up having their most successful run of football over the last 15 years, because it's a really low bar to hit for Cleveland to pull that off. So Miami, Cleveland, and Arizona, most successful runs of the last 15 years from the Houston Texans team. But from the pieces and parts of the Houston Texans team that almost made it to the Super Bowl by being up 24-0 in the divisional playoffs on the road against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, something that I will never understand to this day, how that happened and how it disappeared as quickly as it did for Houston. 
So now we finally make it to 2023. In the in-between, also, we brought up Bill O'Brien, we brought up Jack Easterby. They're also the organization with, again, inmates running the asylum's son and family friends with Mitch McConnell, which I'm pretty sure makes you racist by association. You have that organization being the people who, as everything falls apart in the organization, as Bill O'Brien gets out of there, as a team pastor runs the team, they do the thing that is the second point of the Brian Flores lawsuit, which is... And black NFL head coaches don't get good jobs, and when they do, they're hired for cleanup jobs, which is a very real point. You could point to Raheem Morris being one and done in Tampa, Hugh Jackson getting the worst Cleveland Browns team ever when he got the job, and by the way, immediate plans for the team were to tear it to the ground and go 1-31 and in Hugh Jackson's first two seasons. Steve Wilkes in Arizona, one and done coach there to clean up the mess. So... Black head coaches are usually hired to clean up the mess when they can get jobs in the first place, which for the Houston Texans, they cleaned up the mess with, so far, three different black head coaches. Romeo Cornell in 2020, David Culley in 2021, Lovey Smith in 2022, and I bet you now that the three black head coaches all got to clean up the mess over three seasons, I bet you they're going to hire a white guy. I bet you the Texans are going to hire a white guy now that things look a little bit more stable after a three-year absolute teardown of the organization. I bet you they're going to hire a white guy. And if the Texans do what they wanted to do last year, hire a completely unqualified white guy like Josh McCown, who has literally never been an NFL head coach or coordinator, has never been a head coach or coordinator at any level other than being a high school football coach for one season. Like the Houston Texans are absolutely terrible. So now we get to 2023, which is this football team is really bad. They might be the only team in the NFL we know is really, really bad. The teams at the top of the draft order this year, Chicago, I don't think of Chicago being this bad. I think of Chicago losing a lot of one-score games and having a franchise quarterback for the next 10 years. Arizona, totally mismanaged team this year. Don't really think of them as third worst in the NFL. They just happen to have a quarterback who now has a torn ACL and is kind of not cool with the organization. So then we go to the Colts falling apart. Probably wasn't expected at the start of the season. The Texans are the only team you can point to and say, we knew this team was awful, and they were awful the entire season. Number one pick from start to finish until the literal last fucking play of the season, which is the greatest moment of the entire season, so much so that we're leading NFL Monday on the last day of the season with this, which is to secure the number one pick in the draft, they just have to lose. And they beat the crap out of the Colts to start the game. They're up 17-7. They're up 24-10. Davis Mills threw a pick six with a 10-point lead in the second half of a game to secure the number one pick. The Colts scored 17 unanswered points to go up 31-24. The Indianapolis Colts with Sam Ellinger, who are also trying to get a higher draft pick, who earlier on in this football game, an offensive lineman stripped a running back for a fumble. An offensive lineman stripped his own running back to force a fumble that led to Houston scoring a touchdown. 
They still managed to be up 31-24 because Davis Mills, who is going to come to embody this incredibly awful teardown of the Texans. Similar to Lovey Smith, Davis Mills is playing his last game in a Texans uniform. 31-24, 4th and 20, a minute to play, and Davis Mills chucks a Hail Mary to the end zone, completed to, I believe it was Chris Moore, Hail Mary completed for 40 yards, and the Texans score a touchdown on the last play to secure the number one pick. I thought the best way ever to secure a number one pick was when the Cleveland Browns straight dropped a pass that would have converted a fourth down that clinched the second 0-16 season in NFL history. I can't remember the receiver anymore, and it's better that I don't because I don't want to put his business out there. But I thought that was the best way ever to secure a number one pick was just a straight dropped pass to clinch 0-16. A Hail Mary on 4th and 20, down 7 to clinch the number one pick was just the most amazing thing ever, and I could not stop laughing. And obviously, the Texans don't want to go to overtime. They've already played the Colts this year. You know how that game finished? It finished with a fucking tie. It finished in a tie. So the Texans are like, we're going to go for two, because like we just completed a Hail Mary to tie the game. We're going to go for two and just try and win it right now. And they got it. Because again, teams don't tank organizations tank organizations make the decision to put a lesser product on the field actively in order to secure higher draft positioning teams don't tank teams are trying to win especially in football when the margins are so small and the texans who again lose and you get the number one pick win and you get the number two pick the houston texans ended up completing a hail mary to lose out on the number one pick, which, by the way, is not that big a deal, especially given the fact that the Chicago Bears now have the number one pick in the draft. By the way, congratulations to you, Chicago, for getting that number one pick. Chicago has the number one pick, and the Texans still have the number two pick. It's not that catastrophic of a switch. At the same time, this opens the door for someone to jump Houston and get Bryce Young. And I've been saying for 12 months, literally 12 months, please don't let Bryce Young go to Houston. Please. The closest thing I've seen that looks like Mahomes in college football, and I know he's playing with all these five stars, and I know Alabama has a strong offensive line and all that stuff. The best thing, the thing that's looked closest to Mahomes in college football Please don't let him go to that shit organization. At the end of all of this, please don't let Houston, the most mismanaged organization in all of professional sports, ruin this man's career. And I said the same thing about Chicago. Like, please don't let Chicago ruin Justin Fields' career. And so far, it hasn't done that so far. I mean, they have $100 million in cap space and the number one pick in the draft. So hopefully, they support him in the same way Jacksonville just supported Trevor Lawrence, which is good enough to possibly win nine games next year. Hopefully, Ryan Poles, who comes from the Kansas City organization, can support Justin Fields in a way that looks at least fun to watch on Sundays. Please don't let the Houston Texans get Bryce Young. And the Hail Mary from Davis Mills has opened a sliver of hope. A sliver of hope that perhaps the Seahawks, the Lions, the Raiders, 
the Colts, somebody at the top of that draft will fork up the draft capital necessary to get up to number one and draft Bryce Young. And I'm not saying these are great options. I wish Seattle would be the team that jumps from five to one. It would have been great if Seattle had the three pick because it would have been so much easier for them to get over the Texans to number one. It's a little bit harder now that they have the five pick and it looks like there's going to be a bidding war for the number one pick. But they're not that far back. And so I'm like, please let one of these teams, specifically Seattle, Detroit, and uh, well, let's just say Seattle and Detroit for the time being, because those are the teams that have the Rams picks and the Broncos picks. Please, please, please jump the Texans. Please save Bryce Young. I know I'm begging on the Lions to save Bryce Young, which is a gross existence to find myself in, but one of those teams, please don't let him go to the Texans. Please let the Davis Mills Hail Mary at the end of three putrid years for the Houston Texans, three putrid seasons coming off of being up 24-0 in the playoffs against Mahomes. Please, 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 please. Let that be the reason that the Houston Texans don't get Bryce Young. They don't deserve him. They will ruin his career. Please let one of those teams jump the Texans to get the number one pick so that they can select Bryce Young. And for the rest of time, Davis Mills, I've made so many jokes about your neck. I've made so many jokes about you being the face of the worst run organization in football and three years of a rebuild that's now starting three more years of a rebuild for the Texans. I know how many jokes I've made at your expense. I know how many jokes I've made at the Texans' expense. Please let that be the reason that the Texans don't get Bryce Young. Just let that be this one time. Save Bryce Young so that he may spend the next 10 years of his career well supported by, or at least basically supported by an organization. I know the Lions aren't great, but it's better than the Texans. The Seahawks would be ideal. The Lions would be okay. Even the Colts would be okay. Like, Jim Irsay usually isn't this meddling. Like, I know there aren't great options other than the Seahawks, which would be just a pipe dream. I know there aren't great options. Just anything is better than the Texans. Literally anything. The Jaguars are better than the Texans. Literally anything is better than the worst run organization in all of professional sports. And for three years, they have been absolutely like baffling to watch how terrible it's been, how they've messed this whole thing up and how they funded three different franchise most successful runs of the last 15 years. So I'm begging someone, jump the Texans, get the number one pick. Please make sure Bryce Young doesn't go to Houston and make sure a Davis Mills and Lovey Smith Hail Mary is the reason that they don't get him. You throw a fourth TD on a dime. You ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. Three years, I thought you was phony. Got digs, then you flipped it on me. I was thinking you were Carson Wentz. You made your mark, became an MVP. 
Deep throws, always looking daunting. Tossed up to Davis and McKenzie. It's hard for teams to deny it. When Allen beats double safeties, you keep losing to Mahomes. Sitting on the bench, 13 to go. Overtime coin flips turned up wrong. Makes your season seem so marginal. And this year you'll find a way. Gonna get past Kansas City. Allen and the Bills are gonna be Super Bowl champs 2023. Oh, I wanna run the ball, don't wanna slide, I just wanna dive. Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. I wanna run the ball, don't wanna slide, I'm just gonna dive. Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball, you throw. A fourth TD On a dime you ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins Josh Allen gets Bills the wins You want to play the Chiefs And to beat Andy Reid and his schemes Avenging your past mistakes And take the Bills to the big game So, let's talk about the Patriots and those Buffalo Bills, of which we made a parody song set to Lil Nas X's Sun Goes Down, that I knew would come in handy once we got into December and January. So, when I was about 15 years old, I remember when Jose Fernandez died. He was the pitcher for the Miami Marlins a Cuban baseball player in a predominantly Cuban community and seeing what that player meant when he died and the community rallying around the specifically the the Cuban community rallying around that baseball team in that moment and in the first game back in Miami all the players wore number 16 and it was a hugely emotional moment. And the first hitter for the Miami Marlins, most of you, most of you who know baseball probably know this story. The first hitter for the Marlins is D. Gordon. And in the bottom of the first, he's batting against the Mets. He wears Jose Fernandez's helmet up to bat for the first pitch. Because it's a right-handed helmet, he stands in the right-handed batter's box, then switches helmets goes back up to bat and he hits a home run off of Bartolo Colon and D Gordon's a player who hit three home runs in the last either season or two seasons combined like D Gordon is one of the least home run hitters in baseball and so hits a home run he's crying me at home has tears running down my face because of the idea of like what death means in sports and thinking that like this is what sports are supposed to be like. These are the moments where that sports uniquely produce. And the thing I've learned now in my, you know, five to six years since then is that it's a moment of community that invokes emotion. It's not unique to sports. It's something that I thought was unique to sports. Because I didn't understand 
life beyond sports as a 15-year-old. It was a bit naive at that point. You're still learning. You're still growing. You don't have the perspective to recognize that because this happened only to me through sport and through storytelling, this type of emotion and this sense of community, even though I'd never been to Miami, and even though I'm not Cuban, even though I like the idea of death and rallying around death in a community to help grieve and to help deal with emotion was something that I didn't understand and thought sports were unique for bringing that out of people. I recognize now that that's not the case, and I recognize that for all we preach about wanting to have those moments in sports, we don't actually care that much about those moments. We think we're supposed to. We think we're supposed to be part of community in that way, but unless it directly impacts our community, it's hard to feel those deep sense of emotional connection. And by the way, even when it does affect our community personally, it's hard unless we are personally affected by it without a level of empathy that I don't think usually gets reserved for sports or situations like this. So as I've gotten older, I've gotten more cynical about those moments. I remember when um, the Minnesota Timberwolves last year chucked, uh, remember the Minnesota Timberwolves were the uh, in the play-in game and they eliminated the Clippers and Patrick Beverly got the steal and then chucked his jersey into the crowd and was crying and Carl Anthony Towns was hugging his girlfriend and crying and everyone in Minnesota was having this incredible moment because the Timberwolves hadn't made the playoffs more than one time in 20 years and the Timberwolves hadn't eliminated a team from the playoffs I know it was the play-in tournament but they hadn't eliminated a team since 2004 and so for Patrick Beverly who again got traded by the Clippers after being the kind of emotional rah-rah leader guy for the Clippers during the two during the period in between Chris Paul and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, after being the rah-rah guy for that period of Clipper basketball, that's really not memorable. Like, they missed the playoffs, they traded Blake Griffin, they made the first round of the playoffs, and almost, they won two games against the, the Kevin Durant Warriors in 2019, but a pretty unremarkable period. Patrick Beverly was the, like, emotional leader of that team, and then they got rid of him, and then he ended up on Minnesota, and then Patrick Beverly ended up having that incredible moment where he beat the former team and got to cry. Like, when that moment happened, I'm like, this is the thing we're all supposed to love in sports. Why are we making fun of this? Why are we calling the Timberwolves losers? Like, this is an amazing moment. This is the most fun moment I've seen all season. And now I live in Sacramento, and something similar is about to happen this year when they break the drought. So that's I've gotten cynical about these moments as I've gotten older, and that's kind of my journey from Jose Fernandez in 2016 and, like, basically crying when D Gordon hit that home run to now having these types of emotional moments in sports. With that being said, when Naheem Hines takes the opening kickoff for the Buffalo Bills back to the end zone after what happened with DeMar Hamlin on Monday and playing the game in Buffalo, who's gone through in the past 12 months a gigantic winter storm that left 40 or more people dead, many of whom in their cars, waiting to try and get off the road, combined with the mass shooting that killed 11 people back in May of this past year, add in the fact that this is Buffalo's best chance to win a Super Bowl, in the past four years of having some incredibly close seasons and the 17-year playoff drought that preceded it 
for the Buffalo Bills and what that com- what that football team means to that community. You add on what happened with Demar Hamlin, and the you see the aftermath of that. There's prayer circles going on outside the stadium with hundreds of people gathering. The game's a sellout. Um, all of the support, all of the people with Demar Hamlin posters. The, the pray for Demar shirts that everyone had on the st- in the for the teams you had people in the stands with their makeshift Demar Hamlin jerseys or Demar Hamlin shirts, and I gotta say that was one of those moments that got me. And I think we all recognize that it was a beautiful moment because Demar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest. His heart stopped on the field, was resuscitated, was resuscitated, and then went to the hospital. And in, uh, according to what we know now, his his heart stopped again, and he had to be, uh, he had to receive CPR and a defibrillation again in the hospital. And so, to see what's happened in the aftermath of that, I think is really cool because, like we talked about last week, the sports world paused and reflected and wanted to do right, or at least wanted to put this energy and this trauma into some place. And for some people, that was giving over $5 million to DeMar Hamlin's charity. And for other people, it was like going after Skip Bayless. And for other people, it was wanting to inspire change in different places, like what we talked about with changing the rules, changing the dimensions of the football field, making it so that players are compensated after their injuries, making it so that players... Uh, get medical care after their retirement, things like that, that we could support and change. And the sports world paused and reflected for two days after watching DeMar Hamlin suffer cardiac arrest on the field in Monday Night Football. And to have the sports world start up again and everyone kind of go about their business, and then for Buffalo to have that moment where Naheem Hines takes the opening kickoff of the entire game back for a touchdown... It's it's the thing that and Steve Gleason actually sent out this tweet to Adam Schefter talking about how he was inspired by the people of New Orleans when he blocked that punt in the first game back in the Superdome after Hurricane Katrina or the D Gordon home run or to in the in the face of less tragic circumstances and more so the dumb sports circumstances what happened with Patrick Beverly like those moments are the ones that I thought we're supposed to all care about in sport and I thought it was an amazing moment to watch that happen. And I think a lot of people did too. And so that one got me where I was just like, dang, that was really, really cool to have Naheem Hines take the opening touchdown, take the opening kickoff back for a touchdown. Like bonus points that he took a second kickoff back for a touchdown in the same game, which is the first time that's happened in 12 years in the NFL that a team has had multiple kickoff return for touchdowns in the same game I think there's only been like four kickoff return touchdowns the entire season in the NFL just like D Gordon had only hit four home runs the entire season prior to when he hit the Jose Fernandez home run and so when it's the combination of tragic circumstances emotions and people having having their emotions on their sleeves grieving dealing with emotions and then having that outburst of an unexpected event, I think it's something that's awesome. And I think it's, I mean, the block punt by Steve Gleason is a great example in the football sense. Like, I think it's awesome. I think it's cool to have that moment. I wish Scott Hansen hadn't, like, I wish they had just gone to the sound in the crowd instead of having Scott Hansen narrate it on the Red Zone channel. But man, it was such 
a cool moment to have that happen. And it got me a little bit. As someone who's become more cynical about those moments, that was one of those. I mean, Steve Gleason was 16 years ago, and D. Gordon was five and a half years ago. So, like, these don't happen all that often where you have a magical moment like that. At the same time, that one that one stopped, and it got me a little bit. It was really cool to see Naheem Hines take that opening kickoff all the way back for a touchdown. You throw a fourth TD on a dime. You ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. Three years, I thought you was phony. Got digs, then you flipped it on me. I was thinking you were Carson Wentz. You made your mark, became an MVP. Deep throws, always looking daunting. Tossed up to Davis and McKenzie. It's hard for teams to deny it. When Allen beats double safeties. You keep losing to Mahomes. Sitting on the bench, 13 to go. Overtime coin flips turned up wrong. Makes your season seem so marginal. And this year you'll find a way. Gonna get past Kansas City. Allen and the Bills are gonna be Super Bowl champs 2023. Oh, I wanna run the ball, don't wanna slide. I just wanna dive. Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. I wanna run the ball, don't wanna slide. I'm just gonna dive. Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. You throw a fourth TD. On a dime, you ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. So just real quick here off the end, because again, week 18, sometimes important, sometimes not. Black Monday's coming up. We'll talk about that later this week. We're also going to wait to talk about the actual games themselves coming up next week. Some of them were predictable. So like last week on Friday, Razor and I talked about what Cowboys and Bucks would look like, what Packers and 49ers would look like, and kind of did some game scripting with that. Uh, So close, Titans. God, the Titans were so close to proving me right again. I was so close to being loud right about the Titans again. I was so close. They had the win. They held the Jaguars to 13 points. And then Dobbs did the only thing you can't do in that situation, which is a strip six. Vegas took the L. 
I took the L. If you just take the sack or if the strip six doesn't go back for a touchdown, if it just doesn't go back for a touchdown, at the very least you go to overtime or you win the game because you punt back to the Jaguars and prior to the strip six on the first five possessions of the fourth quarter, the Tennessee Titans and the Jacksonville Jaguars had 10 total yards of offense on five possessions. It was start the fourth quarter. Jaguars throw an incompletion, kick a field goal. Three and out Titans. Three and out Jaguars. Three and out Titans. Three and out Jaguars. Both offenses were so constipated. And the Titans had a three-point lead. Just don't give them a defensive touchdown. Your defense is doing great. Your offense is scoring enough. You're going to get a bullshit playoff spot. Please, please, please just don't get, don't give up a fumble back for a touchdown. I was so close to being right about the Titans. So close to being right about the Titans. Ultimately, it'll be more fun to watch the Jaguars lose to the Chargers. But still, I was just so close. Just so close to being right about the Titans beating Jacksonville and securing a bullshit playoff spot before they do inevitably tear down that roster the way I expected they would at the trade deadline, or what they would begin to at the trade deadline this year. And they didn't, and then they fired their general manager in the middle of the season. So Titans are going to tear that shit to the ground, and uh, we'll watch it happen as the offseason goes along. With that being said, Jaguars are in the playoffs now. The Dolphins back their way into the playoff real quick there. Congratulations to Miami. We'll play your your fight song coming up at the end of the show, but Dolphins back their way into the playoffs this year, going 9-6 to six against the Jets in Joe Flacco versus Skylar Thompson. No touchdowns in the entire game. Both offenses just totally constipated. <laughs> just, oh, just such a bad game, but the Dolphins backdoored their way into the playoff, and at the end of the day, we're probably the most deserving. I mean, shout out to Pittsburgh for going 9-8 and eight at the end of that season. Shout out to Pittsburgh for being a missed Jason Sanders field goal away from making the playoff. Like, just just great job all around, Pittsburgh. I, I wrote you off at 2-6. and six. They got to 500. Tomlin can take anyone to 500. Uh, shouts out to you, Pittsburgh, for taking a one of the, the one of the eight worst rosters in the NFL and somehow winning more games than about uh, winning more games than any team in the NFC South. How about put it that way? Winning more games than any NFC South team, and if the tiebreaker breaks your way, getting into the playoffs again, like just. The last four years of the Steelers, their offenses have been so bad, and it's just been so remarkable to watch them go 9-8 and eight every year for the last, at the very least, the, I mean, they, they went 11-5 the 2020 year, but they went, what, 9-8 and eight with, nine and eight with shitty Big Ben, they went 9-8 and eight with, uh, who would, oh, uh, Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph, they went 11 and 5 that one year and then they went 9 and 8 this year with Kenny Pickett and Najee Harris and Pickens and Deontay Johnson finishing with zero touchdowns on the season. Got to be some close to some record for like most receiving yards without a touchdown this year for Deontay Johnson. I picked him on my fantasy team over AJ Dillon just like 800 yards and no touchdowns this year for Deontay Johnson. Um but yeah, the uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers shout out to them. I even even that being the case and even the Patriots kind of like almost backing their way into the playoff I, I gotta say like the, the Dolphins probably from start to finish deserve this playoff spot the most this season 
QB injuries were kind of the explanation for why it was so close at the end, and they'll probably get smoked by Buffalo even if concussed Tua plays in the wildcard game, which is just a ridiculous sentence to say in the first place. Concussed Tua playing a playoff game against the Bills. Um, But the Dolphins probably deserve that playoff spot at the end of the day, even though I thought they were the fourth best team in the AFC, and now they're probably the seventh best team in the AFC. But the thing I can say that I'm very, very happy about, knowing the 13 playoff spots that have been filled so far... There's no team that didn't deserve to make it this year. There's no bullshit Raiders like last year. There's no bullshit Eagles. There's no bullshit Steelers who made it over the Colts, Chargers, and Saints, respectively. Uh, I don't think that's exactly respectively. But basically, the Colts, Chargers, and Saints were better than the Raiders, Steelers, and Eagles last year. And so wildcard weekend was quote-unquote ruined because it was just the Raiders getting smoked by Cincinnati, Pittsburgh getting smoked by Kansas City. I went back and looked at that game. Kansas City outgained Pittsburgh 339 to 49 yards. They they outgained them by 300 yards of offense in the first three quarters of that game last year in the playoff. I didn't watch a second of it because I did watch a second of it. I watched the highlights of Patrick Mahomes throwing touchdowns, which is fun. But man, like Pittsburgh was just an awful playoff team last year. The Raiders were just an awful playoff team last year. The, The Eagles were an awful playoff team last year. None of those teams deserved to be in the playoffs and all of them got boat raced out immediately. I can say this year... The 13 best teams, and we'll see what happened with the Packers and Lions game. I assume the Packers are going to win, but right now it's 9-6 at halftime. Like, the 13 best teams probably made the playoffs this year, and that's kind of cool. There's no team where I look at it, I'm like, oh, that's really disappointing that they missed the playoffs. No, the six really, really good teams got the, the top seeds, you know, Eagles 1, 49ers 2, Cowboys 5. And then uh, Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati got one, two, three in the AFC. The Jaguars are better than the Titans. I thought the Titans would bullshit their way into a playoff spot, but nope, Jaguars got it. Chargers, Ravens, Dolphins, those were the teams at the start of the year that I said would probably get the spots. It, you know, I thought that the Ravens would win the North and the Bengals would get the wild card, but the six teams that I thought would make it in the AFC made it. And the seventh team is the Jaguars and that whole division was terrible. And they're the four seed. It's not like they were a massive, massive shock. They went nine and eight. The The Steelers would have made the playoffs over the Jaguars if they didn't get the mandatory AFC South spot. So those are the, those were the best teams this year. And the Raiders and Broncos, I thought would fight for the wild card spot. I thought the Steelers and Patriots would be worse than they were, and they were better. And all of them missed the playoffs, which is based on the teams on paper, probably what should have happened. So you got the best teams in the playoff there. You go to the NFC, uh, San Francisco, Philly, and Dallas have been the best teams for two months now, and they got the top seeds. Minnesota bullshitted their way to an NFC North title, and they're the three seed. They'll they'll maybe beat the Giants, maybe not, but then they'll get smoked by either San Francisco or Philly in the next round. And we've known Cowboys are going to play the Bucks for three months. We knew that the NFC South was going to put Tampa in as a bullshit fourth team, and we knew the Cowboys were going to be the five seed because they were one of the best teams in the sport, just not as good as the Eagles. So this year I can say... No bullshit in the playoffs this year. These these are the best teams. And again, like if it's the Packers as the seven seed, they had to send someone. I think the 49ers should have just gotten a first round bye, but they had to send someone as the seven seed in the NFC. So, you know, whether it's Packers or Seahawks, doesn't matter exactly. Like the point being, 
the team, there's no bullshit in this year's playoff. And it's going to make those playoff rounds really, really exciting. And I'm excited to break them down a little bit more as the week goes along. It's going to make those matchups really, really fun on wildcard weekend as compared to last year when it's like Raiders had no, I mean, they were close, but they had no chance against the Bengals. The Steelers lost by 30 points and got outgained by 300 yards against the against the against the Kansas City, and the Eagles lost 30 to zero against Tampa. It's not going to be a boring wild card weekend like last year. They're actually going to be fun matchups to watch, uh, except for the one where the 49ers beat the crap out of either the Packers or the Seahawks. But it's still going to be fun to watch all of these matchups because it is the best teams who deserve to be there. And they're relatively matched up against common opponents. Even Miami and Buffalo, the first two times they played, those games were super interesting. So it's going to be super interesting to watch them play once again, even if the Dolphins are a lesser version of themselves. And if they put Skylar Thompson out there, tough break. If not, It'll still be interesting. There'll be storylines to derive from it. Miami and Buffalo have played two super interesting games this year, so the third one's going to be kind of interesting as well. Um, I'm glad that this year's wildcard weekend isn't going to have a bunch of bullshit teams like last year because it's going to make these matchups super, super interesting. And uh, again, like I think that the Dolphins, based on season merit, deserve this spot. I know they lost five in a row to end the season, but the fact that they lost five in a row to end the season and still had a chance to make the playoff is a, is a testament to how good Miami's been this year. So I will say that even if the results might be closer to foregone conclusions, that's going to happen in every wildcard weekend, especially when you expand wildcard weekend to have seven seeds and six different games. You're sometimes going to have 10-point favorite Buffalo against Miami, or you're going to sometimes have Eagles versus Bucks be 30-0 to zero like last year. It's going to happen sometimes. Sometimes it happens every year, especially in an NFL that has less parity than it has in past years. And I'm glad that the best teams, the best 13 made the playoffs, and I can't look around and be like, oh, this team bullshitted their way to the playoffs and tiebreakers broke their way. I don't think that really happened this year. Maybe I'd be saying it differently if the Patriots had bullshitted their way to the playoff, but ultimately I don't think that it's I don't think it's that big of a deal. Like the Giants, I've just kind of accepted the fact that the Giants are there because I think I've accepted there's only five good teams in the NFC and there's really only three good teams in the NFC. Um, Because the middle class of the NFC is really bad. Either way, it's not like I'm looking at a team in the AFC and like pounding my fist on the table that they didn't make the playoff this year. So like I can't point to be like, oh, the AFC was so deep that this team got screwed out of a playoff spot. I can't really say that this year. Uh, and then, you know, the Jets, the Patriots, and Steelers were all about seven to eight win teams on paper, and that's what they finished with. The Raiders and Broncos fell apart. The Colts fell apart. And uh, the Titans fell apart. So I don't think there's any like bullshit teams that snuck into the playoffs or didn't sneak into the playoffs. I think these are kind of the 13 best teams in the sport. And that's going to make for some exciting wildcard matchups and way, way, way more exciting divisional playoff matchups. It might not match how crazy last year's divisional playoff was. The playoffs are going to be super, super fun this year in the NFL. It's going to be super, super fun. All right, everybody, welcome in to our final award of the Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award for 2000.
2022. Now, the winner of this award, I wanted to give it to my man Davis Mills, even if it wasn't a true Kirk Cousins purgatory situation. I mean, there was still a minute left on the clock when they drove down the field, and obviously they they ended up completing the Hail Mary with 50 seconds left to play. So it, it wasn't a true Kirk Cousins purgatory situation for the Texans, but I do feel like Davis Mills deserves to get the award. Considering there wasn't a true Kirk Cousins purgatory situation this week, the closest thing that we could find to it was Joe Flacco, down three, 20 seconds to go, no timeouts, doing pitchy-pitchy woo-woo against the Miami Dolphins. So since this is the last week of the season and since we had the magical Hail Mary, I'm going to award it to Davis Mills. Congratulations for the Hail Mary from Davis Mills to give the Texans not Bryce Young, potentially. So now that we're at the end of the season, let's go back and look through Kirk Cousins' purgatory. Uh, Kirk Cousins ended up winning the award three times this year. In two other games, teams that were playing against Kirk Cousins won the Kirk Cousins' purgatory award. Uh, Sorry, four awards this year for Kirk Cousins in week three, in week 10, in week 15, and in week 16. Kirk Cousins won the award, uh, adding to his total of seven from last year. That makes it 11 times in the last two years that Kirk Cousins has been down seven, one minute to play, no timeouts, and needing to go the length of the field. Coming in with three this year was one, Trevor Lawrence. Those first few weeks of the season when the Jaguars were trying to figure out their offense Trevor Lawrence was frequently trying to come back from behind, even though the Jaguars had a great point differential. They started out 3-7, and seven, and uh, ultimately they won six of their last seven to make the playoffs. So three straight weeks, Trevor Lawrence ended up with the award, and he only finished with three for the season. We had two from Mac Jones. The magical Baker Mayfield comeback on Thursday Night Football, of course, deserves its recognition. We had two Davis Mills moments. Congrats to Davis Mills. And we had, of course, J.J. McCarthy in the college football playoff, finding himself down six with no timeouts, one minute to play, and trying to pitchy-pitchy woo-woo Michigan's way to not getting eliminated. That is our 2022 Kirk Cousins Purgatory Awards Thank you to everyone who participated and followed along all throughout the season. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We're going to have episodes every single day throughout this week. Fun guests, fun playoff breakdowns, all sorts of fantabulous content coming at you. In the meantime... We ask that you, as always, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. And we're going to play out today's show. I promised that they would get it with the Miami Dolphins T-Pain fight song that maybe just maybe for the, they will get a chance this year to win a playoff game for the first time since this song was made 16 years ago. This song was made 16 years ago as a remake of the 1970s Dolphins anthem, and the Dolphins still haven't won a playoff game in the time since. But they're going to get a chance. They're going to get a chance this weekend to win a playoff game. 